0: The gifts of the Holy Ghost, what are they, really? That's the question that we're going to be answering today because the gifts of the Holy Ghost are the biggest topic whenever people talk about the Holy Ghost. They say, oh yeah, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they, we know, okay, you get the gifts of the Holy Spirit at confirmation, you receive them at baptism in a way, but other than that, I don't quite understand. That's typically what we know about the gifts. So today we're going to go through this book the Archbishop Luis Martinez's book, The Sanctifier, Bishop Martinez was a very holy bishop in the early 1900s, died in the 1950s, and he is allegedly an incorruptible whose body is buried in Mexico City. So if you're listening for the first time, this is Catholic Conversations. I am your host, Adrian Fonseca, and I'm so glad that you're joining me today. We're going through this book, and right now we're on chapter 6. And if you are just tuning in for the first time, don't worry. You don't have to have watched all the other episodes to be able to understand. I give you commentary to help you understand where we are at and where we are going. So don't worry at all about that. All right. So we'll begin in prayer and then we'll jump into it. But before we begin, please make sure you like, subscribe, hit the bell notification and leave a comment down below. Liking and commenting and sharing those three things Are the biggest ways that you can help that cost you nothing? It helps grow the channel, and just by doing those three little things liking, commenting, and sharing. So thank you in advance. All right, let's begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, thy well beloved spouse. Come, Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, thy well beloved spouse. Come, Holy Spirit, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, thy well beloved spouse. Our Lady Fatima, pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Alright, so, oh yeah, one other thing before we get going is check the description. If you want to see the whole series from beginning to end, you can see the whole series by going to the description and pulling up a link there, which will put take you to the playlist with all the videos, and also there is a option for you to donate as well, if you feel so inclined. Alright, chapter 6, The Gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have compared the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to the artist's delicate reproduction of his ideal on canvas or in marble. We know the intimate sanctuary where the divine artist works his spiritual instruments and his marvelous technique. To put it briefly, we may say the Holy Spirit enters into the most interior parts of our being, possesses us, lets himself be possessed by us, and in an embrace of divine love produces in our souls the radiant transformation he desires. On the night of love, when Jesus made us his friends, he revealed his secrets to us, and we heard from his own lips the unfathomable promise that the Spirit of Truth would teach us all things. The operation of the Holy Spirit in our souls is motion. He sanctifies us by directing all our activities with the sweetness of love and the efficacy of omnipotence. He is the only one who can move us in this way, because he alone can penetrate into the hidden sanctuary of the soul, the enclosed garden, invisible to creatures. He is the only one who can move us in this way because, being omnipotent, he possesses the divine secret of touching the source of human activities without depriving them of their vitality or their freedom. This is interesting to note because whenever you go into a situation, right, and you try to force somebody to do something, you try to move them to do something that you want them to do, well, you can influence them, you can push them in the direction, but if you actually touch the source of the human activity, go to the activity itself, you basically have to force somebody. You have to take away their freedom. But the Holy Spirit, being omnipotent, is able to move us and even within us in a manner in which does not interfere or even affect our free will. The sanctifying movement of the Holy Spirit is something special. Even among the movements of the supernatural order In the order of movements, the Holy Spirit assists our weakness but leaves the management of our acts to our superior faculties. The reason directs and deliberates, the will works in the region of its own activity, and in the very special movement of the Holy Spirit takes up his abode in the deepest and most intimate and most active part of our being. He constitutes himself the immediate director of the soul, which in its full strength and freedom moves only under his inspiration. So this is very good to note that grace builds on nature. That means we have our natural faculties. This is why we should strive to try to get better at the virtues. We should practice virtue. Because the more naturally virtuous you become, which is the virtue is, is willfully doing the good, making the good action the easier action to do, the most desirable action, the habitual doing of the good. Could be a summarization of, of virtue. When you cultivate that within yourself, and whenever you start to excel at that, well, then the Holy Spirit has more to work with. The Holy Ghost will take those natural virtues and lift them up by grace. And so they'll be greater, they'll be more, it'll be something that's a greater thing if you first have natural virtue. And so he talks about it assisting us our reason still is directing and deliberating and our will is still doing the actions it is ordering the actions but the holy spirit is directing the soul Um, we think of it like like a conductor trying to tell us what to do but we can disobey we don't have to follow the intimate and very special movement is the work of love it is founded on love caused by love and leads to love the Holy Spirit must be intimately united to a soul in order to move it. He moves us because he loves us and is loved by us. He moves us in the measure of our mutual possession. We might say that his movement is the caress of infinite love. And the Holy Spirit moves us because in his intimate fusion with our soul, which is the work of charity, his divine movements, his holy palpitations, make themselves felt throughout the whole person who is one with them. Or one with him, rather. Without this movement of the Holy Spirit, it is normally impossible to save our souls, and especially to attain Christian perfection. Man's reason, even assisted by God's light and enriched with the supernatural virtues, is no more than a pupil in the divine art. Now, the pupil will never accomplish such a work of art as the reproduction of Jesus if he does not depend on the direction and immediate intervention of the Master who alone is in possession of the ideal in its magnificent fullness and of the the secret procedure of his art. This is a good analogy because my sister for instance is an artist and she will go and work with a artist that she's learning under, a master artist and she's the pupil. And as she's doing certain things, the artist, the master artist will come in and intervene. Oh, we should do it this way. Oh, you correct this over here. And they may even take a brush and add an element there or give very specific direction how a thing should be done. Now, imagine if you're a pupil with no master, you're trying to do this on your own. You're trying to create this beautiful work of art on your own. Well, anytime that there is a mistake, there is no way to be created, to be corrected. There's no guidance. There is no vision towards the end that you need that someone's gonna help you along the path with. So that's something we have to keep in mind. The Holy Ghost is the master artist. And if what we're trying to do is reproduce Christ within ourselves to make ourselves like Christ, if we rely only on our natural skills, it'll never happen. We could probably get we could probably do some some sort of virtue, some natural virtue, some good things, but we'll never be completely like Christ, that can only happen by the Holy Ghost. Undoubtedly, it is the part of the pupil under the careful direction of the Master to prepare the canvas on which the fine lines of Jesus will be sketched by the artist's hands. It is his part to make ready the marble so that the Holy Spirit can breathe into it the light of his ideal. For God disposes all things with admirable gentleness, but the exquisite work, the delicate and perfect art, The masterful strokes, the touch of divine light, the immaterial form, the living palpitation, the quid divinum, only the master's hand can impart to the stainless canvas. The quid divinum is the divine element, by the way. The immaculate marble of our souls. In every art, there is something incommunicable that belongs only to genius, In the divine art, there is something incommunicable and infinite that belongs only to God. Okay, so what are we getting here? Okay, so when an artist is creating something, he has the idea in his head of what he wants to create, and he's trying to express that idea. And let's say it's a a portrait of somebody, something very simple, a portrait, right? Now, he's trying to convey the likeness of the person. That's one thing. And you can do that very skillfully and very masterfully. And you'll be able to grasp it. You and I will be able to see the portrait and say, oh yeah, that is so-and-so. But the artist is also trying to communicate the person beyond just his visage. And that is more difficult to communicate. It's more difficult to to get people to understand that aspect of it. And that's also often why you'll see people ask artists, "Oh, what was the meaning behind this painting? What was the meaning behind this? I can get the exterior parts of it, and I may get some of the meaning, some of the interior, but the full grasp of it can only be known by the artist himself. It can be communicated by the artist himself. And so in the divine art, in Christ, doing art within our souls, the Holy Ghost, the divine artist, trying to make ourselves like Christ, well, he is is there something incommunicable and infinite that belongs only to God. That's what's being communicated here. Both the master and the disciple have their own instruments of work. For the disciple, there are the virtues. For the master, the seven gifts. The virtues are undoubtedly the precious means of sanctification, but they are our means. The gifts are the instruments of the Holy Spirit. The virtues are divine brushes, but they are managed by men. If the gifts did not come to their aid, the pupils' work could hardly be accomplished. The handiwork of the master is achieved by these divine, mysterious instruments, the gifts. Now, this is the essential difference between the virtues and the gifts. The first are made to be exercised under the direction of reason. The second are exercised under the immediate direction of the Holy Spirit. The virtues in the supernatural order are without a doubt divine as, their, as to their origin. God infuses them as to their end. They lead to God. As to their object, they produce the work of sanctification, but the virtues are managed by men, and they have consequently a human mark. Just as a pupil's timid, faltering style is revealed in his first hesitating lines, they do not yet show the marks of genius, the fullness, the boldness, the sublimity of the master the divine stamp of him who is called the finger of God's right hand. So, he's saying here that these virtues, you have these virtues, right? And they are the natural virtues. You can have a natural virtue of hope, but then you can have a supernatural virtue of hope. So, grace builds on nature. This natural virtue is made greater by the gifts of God. By the grace of God. But then, you have the gifts, and these are completely unattainable on our own. And the gifts, these are intrinsically imbued with the the stamp of God. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying the divine stamp of him who is called the finger of the God's right hand, that they are there already on the gifts of the Holy Ghost, as opposed to the virtues, which could be natural or could be supernatural. Now he goes on and says, The gifts, on the contrary, do bear this stamp. Without the gift, the work of perfection is impossible. As we have said, it requires the immediate direction of the Holy Spirit. The human faculties could not receive the motion of the Spirit without the gifts that he himself places at the fountainhead of our activity. To receive his sanctifying motion, his divine inspiration, his vivifying breath. And then here is where I think is where we get into a modern question, a modern topic. He says, the gifts of the Holy Spirit have been forgotten like the Spirit himself. Isn't that true today? The gifts of the Holy Spirit, we kind of uh, have a situation where we are told we have to memorize them to be confirmed, but then after confirmation, you never hear about them again. And that's about it. Many desiring to be practical and solid think too much about the work of man and little, much too little, about the work of God. They exalt the virtues and that is well, but they forget the gifts. And that is ingratitude and baseness. The gifts are also necessary to salvation. And furthermore, the finest, most exquisite part of the work of sanctification belongs to them. Perhaps it is because the gifts are forgotten that so many souls miss The designs of God and so many others capable of high perfection drag themselves along in effortless mediocrity. Hmm. Yeah, we don't want to be mediocre. We don't want to be in a situation where we don't attain the greatness that God desires for us. And so we need to focus on the Holy Ghost, the gifts of the Holy Ghost. The reason why I think that people forget them is because in a sense, they're a little bit mysterious. In a sense, that are harder to obtain. In another sense, they're easier to obtain because they're a gift. You don't have to do anything. But they're harder in the sense that for virtues, you know, okay, these are what the virtues are, and I can practice them. I can get better at them, and I can perfect them. It requires, I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. Whereas a gift, you are relying on God. And that's scary. He says, but let us continue our study of the movement of the Holy Spirit. It is Is it possible to determine the meaning and direction of that movement? Jesus said to Nicodemus, The wind blows where it wills. It is certainly impossible to determine the precise operation of the Holy Spirit in souls. They are so hidden, so mysterious, so unexpected. But let us supplicate him to reveal to us the general direction of his holy movements. The course of the Spirit is invariable and immense, With his immaculate wings, the divine dove always describes a circle loving and infinite. He comes from the Father and from the Son. And back to these divine persons, he bends his majestic flight, drawing after him in gentle impetuosity the souls who are docile to his inspirations. From whence is love to come if not from the bosom of love? And where is love to complete its magnificent circular movement? if not in its own unfathomable breast the ideal of the holy spirit when moving a soul with his gifts is not we have said the same as the ideal of the reason when when it comes when it moves the faculties by means of the virtues st thomas aquinas teaches that the acts of the virtues and the acts of the gifts conform to distinct rules human in the first divine in the second now this is something that i've been commenting on already about the difference between the virtues and the gifts. So we'll move on from there. I won't spend too much time on that. Each artist has his ideal, each movement its principle and its rule. When the pupil moves the brush, the rule that inspires the movement is the ideal of the master. Although the pupil understands it, but poorly, his mind not being completely open to its beauty. But when the master, transported by inspiration himself, moves the brush, the norm of the movement is higher, broader, and more beautiful. It is the sublime, luminous, fruitful ideal of genius. I love that. It is the sublime, luminous, fruitful ideal of genius. And this is what our Lord wants to do with us. He wants to take our hands and draw the painting together himself, we have to allow him, we have to conform to that, we have to ask him to do that to us. When reason directs the acts of the virtues, its norm is human, or rather, the divine ideal is adjusted to the narrow mold of reason. But when the, so just to say that again, the divine ideal, so the idea that God has in his mind, is adjusted to the narrow mold of reason. Because our reason is directing the acts of the virtues. So we have the virtues and our reason and is directing our will to actually do the virtuous things. And he's correcting himself. Obviously, he's writing it, so he's not correcting himself. He's doing this on purpose. But he's correcting himself and saying, or rather the divine ideal, the idea that God has for you and I, is adjusted to the narrow mold of our reason. Now he says, but when the Holy Spirit moves, By means of his gifts, the norm is enlarged. So the capacity for greatness is now bigger because now we have the reason, the mold that we have of reason is very limited because it's limited to our intellect, our knowledge, our will. But whenever you put God in the mix, he enlarges the norm. So it is a norm without the veils of humanity. The ideal, in all its magnificent brilliance, it is God himself shared by man. As if man, under the impulse of the Spirit, no longer worked humanly, but became God by participation, as St. Thomas boldly puts it. And, continues the Holy Doctor, the Holy Doctor being St. Thomas Aquinas, as the method corresponds to the rule, as the ideal leaves its unmistakable stamp on the works that it inspires, So man's work bears the particular character of the human ideal. With the limitations, the timidity, and the uncertainty that belongs to human nature. But when man works illuminated by the divine ideal of the spirit, his acts have the unmistakable mark of the divine. They show the gentle operation of the divine dove that lifts the soul to heaven on its shining wings. With reference to divine appropriations, we might say that the ideal of the acts performed on the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit corresponds to the Father. The ideal is the first exemplar of the work. The Father is the beginning. The work of sanctification is a work of paternity and adoption. From the Father, all fatherhood in heaven and on earth receives its name. Now, just remember, he's saying this by appropriation. So he's saying that we are attributing this action to the Father. This is not him saying that it is only the Father who acts, because as we understood from previous chapters, the Holy Trinity acts together and in all things. They act as one. There is no difference in their mind between, okay, the Father's going to do X, the Son's going to do Y, and the Holy Ghost is going to do Z. They all act in every action, but we appropriate particular persons, to particular actions. And then and the end of perfection is Jesus, because Jesus is the image of the Father. During the days of his mortal life, he sought the ideal of his acts in the bosom of the Father. The will of the Father, which he came to earth to accomplish, and the glory of the Father, which formed the one great desire of his soul, appear in the Holy Gospel as his supreme norm. In the most solemn moments of his life, the Son lifted his profoundly understanding eyes to the Father and seem to gaze with all intentness and sweetness upon the ocean of light. In order to reach us, the unique light has to be dispersed, has to be adjusted to the capacity of each one of the seven gifts. As the ray is diffused in the colors of the spectrum, only God can attain himself in his infinite unity in us, especially in exile, meaning us here on earth as opposed to us in heaven. The facets of his unique beauty must appear one by one. Now, we will stop for a moment and think about that for a second. One by one, meaning in God, there's no distinction between the gifts. They're all God. They're all him. There's no distinction between the gift of fear of the Lord and the gift of prudence and the gift of wisdom. They're not different things. They are one in Christ. Now, For us, because we are so limited and we're so finite, they are delineated. We're able to distinguish them very clearly between the different gifts. And he's going to go on from here. He's going to explain what he means. He says, in the gift of fear, he is a sovereign. We revere as the master of life and death. In fortitude, he is the omnipotent force that delivers itself into the hands of weakness. In piety, he is the father to whom we must adhere with filial affection, extolling his glory. In counsel, he is the external and supreme norm of human action. In knowledge, the inexhaustible exemplar of creatures. In understanding, the supernatural end that sheds that sheds light on all knowledge. And in wisdom, he is the focal point that illumines the soul because he is the focal point of love. And because he and wisdom, united in an embrace of love, have revealed with love's gentleness the secrets of all truth. Now later on in the book, he's going to go in depth on each one of the different gifts. So we're not going to spend time analyzing what he means by all these different aspects. But it's a good summary to set us up for when we get to the gifts, what exactly he's setting us up for, or what exactly he's going to go for a whole chapter on each one of the gifts. So, this is just a setup, this is just a teaser, think of it as. It says, but under all its indescribable aspects, it is the same ideal. It is God, it is the Father, from whose loving bosom comes the Spirit, bringing divine fruitfulness to the soul. Like heavenly dew, the divine fecundity fructifies the earth of the soul. That is a really great uh, way of saying that. I, just, I, li- I like alliteration. Like heavenly dew, the divine fecundity fructifies the earth, the soul, that it may produce a celestial harvest. And note well that the soul does not remain idle. Its activity is more intense and complete under the impulse of the gifts than when it is exercising the virtues. The soul does not move itself through the gifts. It is moved by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, as we have previously said, the acts of the gifts gifts, have a certain passive character, and the soul is as a mother, fruitful under the divine fecundity of the Holy Spirit. So, well, that's pretty straightforward. You're basically using flowery language to say that all the different gifts are under the same umbrella. so the same thing to the Father, to God, and acting within us. And then what these gifts do, which is why... Uh, we say fecundity fecundity means like fruitfulness uh, to 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 bear new life and then so divine this fecundity fructifies so this ability to produce actually does produce so that means within our own souls when we receive the gifts it should give birth to new life it should bear fruit and if you're not bearing fruit there's something wrong The spiritual life in its most exalted and perfect sense consists in the adaptation of the soul to the divine norm, to the ideal of the Father, the Holy Spirit who is the artist who unites in a kiss of love the Father and the transformed soul. So, in other words, we are to become the image that the Father has of us in his mind. We do not currently, at least most of us don't, currently imitate or become, truly, what God wants us to become. And so the Holy Spirit's task as a divine artist is to make us like the image the Father has in his mind. Little by little, under the vivifying influence of the Spirit, under the divine action of the gifts, the soul adapts itself more and more perfectly to the infinite exemplar. As under the inspired blows of the chisel, the life of the ideal becomes alive in the resplendent whiteness of the marble. One after another, the gifts, by their cleansing action, will take away from the soul the impurities characteristic of human misery. The gentle brilliance of heavenly light will descend upon the purified soul, and the pale outlines of the ideal will begin to appear. As the stars come out in the quiet splendor of twilight, then all is harmony in the soul. All desires are fused in the oneness of a conquered love. All the scattered lights are unified in the gloriously divine theme. This, the work, is about to appear in its magnificent beauty. The realization of the ideal in the soul is but the image of the Father, the created yet supernatural reproduction, full of light and truth. Of that unique, infinite, and image of the Father, the Word who on taking flesh willed to be called Jesus. By a miracle of love, the ideal that the work of art seems to be one. The scene of Tabor is reproduced in the midst of the luminous cloud of the Spirit. The soul transformed into Jesus reflects in its white vesture the brilliance of glory. In the silence there echoes over the happy, that happy soul like a beautiful canticle, the voice of the Father exclaiming with divine tenderness, That is my beloved Son. The Spirit has completed the divine circle of His flight. The Father and the Son, uniting in their eternal kiss of love, join the soul to their embrace. So that's the end of the chapter. And we're just about out of time, but we'll go just a couple minutes over uh, to read comments. So if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, soapbox of negativities, positivities, or anything in between, now will be the time to ask them. But just to summarize, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are divine action. That's something that we cannot produce in ourselves. It's something that is not like the virtues, which are things that we can do on our own. It's a man-centered action. But instead, the Holy Spirit, when through His gifts creates the our small little thimble-sized container that can take up grace and enlargens it, so that way we can actually grow to become not just the best possible version of ourselves, naturally speaking, but the best possible version of ourselves that re- that is in the mind of God itself and God Himself. And so, what are those gifts? We're going to get to that later. The next chapter is on the Holy Spirit Consecrates Us. And there is a practicing the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we actually won't get to the gifts. Specifically, until we get to, hmm, probably midway through Lent, we're not going to be able to get to um, the gifts. Yeah, it doesn't come up until page 137 right now we're on page 50. So we're about 100 pages away, Mm, well, 90 pages away, about 90, 90 pages away from actually getting to the topic of the gifts. But we're setting the stage. It's all gonna get, we're all gonna get there. There's a lot of good content coming. Let's see. Jeff says, good afternoon, Adrian. God bless you always. Lucy says, if we leave comments in the live chat, does the algorithm recognize it or just after the stream has ended? If I understand correctly, the commenting in the live chat helps the algorithm in pushing it to people while it's live. And so it'll be people who are watching live will be like, oh yeah, this is happening and they'll be able to see it. Whereas if you comment afterwards, it helps the video overall. So both of them help in different ways. And that's at least that's that's my understanding of how the algorithm works. Unfortunately, they don't just give us a handbook and be like, this is how the algorithm works. It's kind of more like you, we test, you see what works, what doesn't, and then you correct and you keep going. So that's kind of what it's about. All right, that's going to do it. Like, subscribe, hit the bell notification. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon. God bless you. God love you. And we'll see you very soon.